Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and this is episode 14 of the podcast. Today on the show, we have Lynn Forrest. Lynn is the author of the book, Guiding Principles for a Life Beyond Victim Consciousness. She's an international speaker and group facilitator and the creator of the Happy Kid Toolkit. Lynn teaches that people perceive life in one of two ways. We're either reacting out of the victim mind or we see life through the eyes of the observer mind, which witnesses without judgment. In Lynn's work, she helps people find and clear the painful beliefs and ideas that have caused them distress through a process of connecting with the observer self. You may notice this episode is a little different from previous episodes, where I've guided guests through their personal hero's journey. My hope is to sprinkle in guests like Lynn who can offer tools for your hero's journey toolbox. If you love an episode or know someone who should be on the show, reach out to me and let me know. Visit the Carlina Show website at carlina.net. That's C-A-R-L-E-E-N-A dot net. From there, you can find links to the show notes, past episodes, and sign up on the mailing list and receive emails when a new episode is published. Before I bring you Lynn, I'd like to thank Stephen Lorca for video editing and production. His work allows us to post our episodes on the Carlina Show YouTube channel, as well as the podcast. I'd also like to thank my 13-year-old dog, Luna who sleeps next to me and snores when I record my Skype conversations and episode intros. Consider her sound effects added texture. Now I bring you Lynn Forrest. Thank you for this opportunity. I, I appreciate it and yeah, uh, look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, well, I'll be honest. I've had your book in my house for, um, when did you publish it? 2010. 2010. It could have been right around 2010. I had a friend who went to um, one of your workshops in Monteagle. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I'm not going to mention her, her name for her confidentiality, but she came back and she was just raving about your workshop and told me about this book. And, and so, so I got it. Yeah, it could have been 2010, 2011. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, I just, I think, yeah, well, I, I don't know that I knew, I don't know much about you other than you made uh, some kind of comment and I went and looked, looked over and saw what you were doing. And I thought, you know what? She's in Chattanooga. I, I would love to reach out to my Chattanooga folks there. So that's, that's, I'm in Florida right now. I'm in St. Pete. Okay. So yeah. I'm here. My uh, daughter still lives in, she lives in Port Oglethorpe. Okay. And uh, she runs the business, really, and th- and then just pretty much tells me what to do. She gives me my assignments. <laughs> okay. Well, she and might I- be neighbors with my mom. My mom lives close to Fort Oglethorpe as well. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's rumors that I might move back there um, at least part-time. Uh-huh. So we'll see okay. how yeah. that works out. Well, maybe so. we can get together face-to-face and have coffee. That would be awesome. I like that. Yes, 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 I would like that too. (laughs) Okay, so tell me a little bit about you, about what you're up to now. Well, right, let's see, what am I up to now? I'm still, we're busy, busy. Um, We're developing a couple of projects. One is a Reality Formula Live, which is an online uh, bi-monthly podcast Mm -hmm. where it's a membership where people join and then they... For that, they uh, tune in twice a month, and I give live presentations and answer their questions. Mm-hmm. So because I have a following around the world, it's international, so this allows people wherever for mm-hmm. um, a minimal cost to have access to me. So that's mm-hmm. why I love doing it. And mm-hmm. then they can ask me questions, and then they also get a chance to work uh, on their issues if they don't mind it being public. But it's not really public because you... It's a it's a paying subscription, so yeah. members okay. it's members only. So I do that. We're we're busy with that, and then we're also working on a certification course for Reality Formula. Okay, okay. We developed a, a, a I developed a, this program for children, the Reality Formula, uh-huh. and Danielle Alvarez Greer, who's in Chattanooga, uh, is 
she spearheads that and and uh, bought the bought the product called the Happy Kid Toolkit from me, bought mm-hmm. the license for it, and although I still own the intellectual rights, but she's the one that's taking it into school systems and that kind of thing. Okay. So okay. we developed that for families and children and, and schools. Okay. Um, and she's, she's I, that's a little more energy than I <laughs> want to expend these days, but she's a go-getter, so she's out there doing that. Yeah, yeah. She has her own training. She's training uh, young teachers, teachers who want to take it out uh, in the model. So reality formula coaches. Okay. All right. Well, um, so how about, um, normally I have people go back to the beginning of their journey and walk me through, but I think right now, could you just go ahead and describe what is victim consciousness? Just so we have an idea of, of what it is. And is victim consciousness the same thing as victim? That's a really good question, yes. Okay. And it's a good thing. It's a good place to start. Yeah. Victim consciousness is a state of consciousness that all humans are prone to. And we move in and out of victim consciousness all day long. Some of us get in it and stay in it, live in it more often. Others of us visit it and then step back from it. But victim consciousness is any time that we are making the outside world responsible for our unhappiness. When I say he made me feel, she kept me from, they won't let me have, um, it, it's, it's that blame. Anytime we're blaming something out there for our, our unhappiness or our happiness for that matter, mm-hmm. we're seeing ourselves at the mercy. We're saying that thing is in charge of whether or not I get to have a good day. That person determines my my degree of happiness mm-hmm. and when we get and you can see how that gets complicated in relationship for instance because now I need you if I believe you're responsible for my happiness you better believe I'm going to be about controlling you mm-hmm. that's that's where control is born that's what control is all about control is comes from the misconception that my okayness is based on something outside me mm-hmm. so then I get busy trying to manipulate and control the outside world so that it will give me the experience mm-hmm. that I'm looking for. That's right. victim consciousness. Okay. It's very different than being a victim. Mm-hmm. It's not, we, you can be a victim and not even go into victim consciousness. Mm-hmm. And right. that is that you, and the, and the difference is, is that when I look out at the world and we, I understand that it's not what's happening out there that determines how I feel, mm-hmm. but it's what I tell myself it means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you frown at me, and if I tell myself that's about me, and that you don't like me, and that you've got something in for me, and then I now, because the reality formula, and it's an actual formula that all minds do, goes like this. When we believe what we think, two things automatically happen. The first thing is that we will have the feelings that go with that belief, with that thought. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is that we will begin to act as if it's true. And when I feel and act, as if what I'm thinking, believing, is true, I will act in ways that will bring me the evidence to prove me right. Hmm. It's, that's just the way, that's reality. It's right. the way it works. Right. So we're, yeah, so we're always proving whatever it is we believe. So could you talk about the three different points of the triangle and what they, what they represent and how you kind of shift from one to the other? Yeah. So there are three positions in victim consciousness. Anytime we're in victim consciousness, we're going to play, be one of those three roles. We'll either, and we always start out in the victim. That is, I'm at the mercy of that thing out there. It's what's making me unhappy. And so I feel at the mercy of it. And now, and I feel out of control around it. I feel powerless. I feel at the mercy. And so that's the victim role, and that's, you know, if you think about an inverted triangle, that's at the bottom. That's why it's inverted, that triangle. Mm-hmm. The victim is at the bottom. And then the next, and then one the, one, the second position, if we just do it in order. Now, we don't necessarily move around it like this, but mm-hmm. if we were the way it evolves, because these are also levels of maturity. Mm-hmm. All of us are born feeling at the mercy of our parents, at the world. This is how I know that victim consciousness is innate in all humans. I believe that it's something, it's a state of consciousness that we come to work through. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's a stage of development. It's about this is how what maturity is about. We move from victim consciousness into what I call observer consciousness as a grown up. Mm-hmm. Some of us never get there. Mm-hmm. The second stage, the second level of maturity, the second position on the triangle is of the persecutor, or you could call it the bully. That that is, you see it every two year old. It's that place of that's mine. Wham wham. This is this is. When I believe that that out there, whatever it is, is is making me feel bad, I'm going the the first response in and as we in immaturity and as we begin is to attack. I'm going to take it back. I'm going to make somebody pay for that. And we see it all the time. We see it in politics. We see it everywhere. It's that mm-hmm. second stage of victim consciousness, and then the third stage and the third role is rescuer. And that's about as good as it gets on our planet at this time. This is about as far as we've evolved, we have evolved as humans. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean everybody. We're, we're, I'm seeing more and more. We're, begin, we're getting the invitation to step up to a fourth level. But when we look back and we, and we look at the state of things today, we pretty much live on those three roles. And the third role, rescuer, mm-hmm. is when we decide that you know, I don't want to attack. I want to be a grown-up here. I mm-hmm. want to take responsibility, but what I, I'm still blaming. I'm saying it's because of that and that and they're being unfair and that shouldn't happen and I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take charge. Mm-hmm. I'm going to control it, manipulate it, placate it because the assumption is, as a rescuer, I know what needs the way it should be. I know the way it needs to be and I'm right. Mm-hmm. And this is the third position on the triangle. The thing about any one of those three mm-hmm. is that they move around. You, mm-hmm. you can go any direction, back and forth from rescuer to victim, right. from persecutor to victim, back and forth from rescuer to persecutor, you know, or, you know, in any direction. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is you won't just stay in one position. You'll be moving around the triangle and all of those positions are based in blame. They're all about pointing at the outside world and making someone else outside of me responsible for where I am, what I, the way I see the world. Right, right. And what is the, you mentioned there was a fourth dimension? The fourth, there's a fourth level mm-hmm. of maturity mm-hmm. that we are being invited to do. And the requirement to move into the fourth level is that we give up blame. We stop blaming. We mm-hmm. stop blaming ourselves because... Victim consciousness comes out of, first of all, we play it with ourselves. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves as victims. We victimize ourselves. We persecute ourselves. I shouldn't be thinking that. What's wrong with me that I'm like that? I don't do enough. I, that blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then we rescue ourselves. Oh, well, I feel bad, but I'll just have a drink. I'll watch TV. I'll mm-hmm. numb out. I'll medicate. I'll fix it. I'll, I'll get on a health plan. I'll... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to fix it somehow. Mm-hmm. The fourth level is when I move into the witness, the observer. We call it observer consciousness, mm-hmm. which means I'm, I stop blaming. I step back. And instead of going, what do I need to do about that out there that's in charge? Uh, I ask myself the question, what am I believing right now that has me blaming? Mm-hmm. And is it true? And is there another way to see this? And that there are 10 guiding principles that I've developed that are based on ancient laws. They're, they're, you find them in every doctrine of truth, including the Bible. You find it in, in all of the various philosophies and religion where there is truth. Mm-hmm. And, they are, and, and I've coined 10 of them. And that they help us access observer consciousness. They help us step out of blame. Mm-hmm. Help us understand that and take responsibility, meaning the ability to respond, not... Too often we, and one of the reasons why so few people take responsibility, self-responsibility, is because they believe that means instead of it's their fault, it's my fault. That's what self-responsibility means to the masses. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not what responsibility is. Self-responsibility is the ability to question what I believe Mm -hmm. and step up beyond blame, above blame, and go, well, what can I learn from this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no accidents. Why would this, we're vibrational beings. How is it that I've attracted this into my life? What can I learn from it? How is it an initiation? What can, how can I transform it? Mm -hmm. How can I grow from it? How is it for me? 
That is what we begin to do. Can you give me an example, um, paint a picture of a person? It doesn't have to be a real person, maybe just a um, someone who comes to one of your workshops or who starts out and they're in victim consciousness and sort of the patterns that they're, they're creating for themselves. And then how is it that they move from a victim consciousness to um, observer consciousness? I mean, there's so many examples. We could take anything. It would be, it'd be great if you give me someone, anyone who's saying, okay, it's my husband. Mm-hmm. My husband makes me miserable. He won't do this. He does too much. He does too much. He does too much of that. He doesn't give me, he's, he's not loving. He's not kind. He's selfish. He's, so let's say I have a client and that's her, that's what she comes in talking to me about is mm-hmm. how she's been mistreated, betrayed, hurt by this other person. And, mm-hmm. and so the, what, it's just simply uh, asking questions. I don't tell her she's wrong. It's not about blaming. It's not about saying, well, what's your part in this? It's about beginning to, I pull in the guiding principles. Mm-hmm. And what the very first guiding principle says, that there are no accidents, that because, the second principle says, because we're vibrational, which means that thoughts are electromagnetic. And when I think a thought, I project the energy. I project the energy in the form of emotion. Mm-hmm. Emotion is the vibrational read on the thoughts I'm thinking. Emo- that's what emotion does. It always reports to us exactly where we are vibrationally, and that's its job. Mm-hmm. So when we're feeling good, we know that we are in, we're not in victim consciousness, we're an observer. We're in, we're aligned with reality. Mm-hmm. That's how we know. And But when I'm feeling afraid or mad or blaming mm-hmm. or rejected or betrayed, then I know that I am believing a story because we all have core beliefs that we are we are even born with them. They're lineage beliefs. We know now that every belief that's ever been believed is encoded in our DNA, in our family, like both matriarchal and patriarchal lineage. goes all the way back. All of those core beliefs are encoded in our DNA. That doesn't mean we're going to... Uh, be at the mercy of all of them, but it does mean that we will have um, mile marker. We'll we'll have things that happen in our childhood where we, maybe we have maybe my father was with this young woman that's that's coming to me and complaining about her husband. That would be one of the things I would ask. Well, tell me about your history because I'm going to want to help her find what it is her belief system is that she's playing out with her husband. Mm-hmm. Because I know there's no accident. And I know that if he's a vibrational match for her, that she's got some beliefs that are attracting someone into her life that's going to treat her according to the way she expects to be treated. Mm-hmm. So maybe we find out that her father was alcoholic and he was absent. Mm-hmm. And when he did show up, he was negative and, and blaming and, and sarcastic. Mm-hmm. And so... Then we, so it's sort of like what happens is if she goes back to a memory, maybe a precipitating event in her life where at age five she recalls her father storming out and shaking her like this and telling her she's a bad kid. Well, when something like that happens to a little kid, children universally believe that everything that happens to them is about them somehow. Mm-hmm. And so this little kid at five years old is going to say, what did I do? What? How is this about me? And her little brain, she's going to be scanning and she's going to be thumbing through those records just as fast until she comes up on a lineage belief that's in storage there. A belief that says, maybe it could say anything, but maybe it says something like, um, men are dangerous. That I, men can't be trusted. That, um, that no one will love me that I'm a bad person, that I'm undeserving of love. And mm-hmm. whatever it is, her little brain, it's like there's that belief, and it's, and it's her, her brain presents it to her as the reason why this happened. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't mm-hmm. question it. She just takes it on. And that then becomes the lens through which she sees the world. Mm-hmm. And now vibrationally, because she's taken that on, she's transmitting that energy of that thought. 
And now when she walks out in the world, when she looks around, when she starts looking for men in her life, she's unconsciously looking for the men who match that belief system. Hmm. And she will attract to her and be attracted to men who will prove her right, that this mm-hmm. is who men are. Right, right. This and so how does, how does this, this woman who had that experience as a child, how does she transition to observer consciousness? Well, you know, Carl Jung used to say, um, anything we can make conscious, we can heal. Mm-hmm. So just, just beginning to understand that this is just a belief mm-hmm. and not my reality so we, we teach a, a questioning process of like, okay, just because you believe that, does that make it true? And when you believe it, how do you feel? And when you feel that way, how do you act? And when you act like that, what does the other person see? What does it invite from the other? And, we, and what happens is we begin to discover how it is that we play our part in teaching people how to treat us according to what we expect and believe we will get mm-hmm. not what we want but what we believe mm-hmm. we expect okay and once we see that we now it's conscious mm-hmm. now we can actually see ourselves in the process and if you can see yourself in the process then at any moment you can step back and observe at any moment you can step back and ask the question rather than blindly play it out mm-hmm. it makes all the difference in the world okay do you see a lot of people who come to you um, have had addiction in their family growing up? What, are, what is the root cause? Pardon? There's a dysfunction mm-hmm. of all kinds. Mm-hmm. I believe that the real addiction, and this comes from having worked in the addiction field for many, many years and myself going through a recovery process around addiction, coming from a family of addicts, um, this process has has been one not, that I not only teach, but that I use every day. My, my children use it. My grandchildren use it. Mm-hmm. It was my, on my father's side, there, were alco- there was every kind of ism you can imagine, rage addiction, sexual addiction, uh, alcoholism. On my mother's side of the family, uh, my mother came from a matriarchal lineage where her mother handed her ancient universal principles that she then taught me from the age of seven and so I, so very young in life, even as I was going through all this dysfunction, I had these tools mm-hmm. that allowed me to ask the questions and begin. It, it set me on the path to, to be to do what I do today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I now I, I got distracted. What was it? <laughs> well, I, I just I just asked if the the people who come to you if they had um, addiction in their families, like if they grew up with a parent who was ad- addicted. Yeah, and I was, I, yeah, I was saying that, uh, I, so I believe that it's not the addictions that is the really primary addiction. It's what we're primarily addicted to is our belief system. Mm. And that what, and then all other addictions are secondary. They come out of that. Because if I have a belief system, an addiction to seeing myself as someone who's unlovable. And I'm gathering evidence for that because I'm going out and I'm, and I'm vacillating to, I'm attracted to and attracting into my life vibrationally mm-hmm. the people. And it's not because I'm stupid or, or dumb or sick. This is what we're here to do. How do I know that? Well, because everybody I know is doing it on some level. Uh, you know, of course, there are more painful stories than than others. Some of us have come from extreme dysfunction. Some of us come from less, 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 so, so, so. But nonetheless, we're all working on a story that we've taken on and that we see the world through. And as we make it conscious that it becomes a vehicle for awakening, mm-hmm. it becomes how we grow, how we expand and how we learn to use the tools. Because mm-hmm. the reality formula, for one, is a tool that we're born with. And that is when we believe it, we will feel it, we will act it, and we will prove it. This is only true for every single one of us. It mm-hmm. just, but now, if that's true, and we question what we believe, and then now we begin to take on, well, how would I like to see it? Mm-hmm. And what would I want to replace this with? Mm-hmm. And can I believe that that's true? Could it be just as true, if not truer? Then the unhappy story? Mm-hmm. And then I begin to gather evidence for that. And now I've learned to use that tool 
in a way to manifest the life of my dreams. Okay. So it's like it's it be it's a training. Right. It's a training. Right. Um, so you you talked about the the inverted triangle, and then there's the other triangle with observer consciousness. But then there's two other points to that triangle. Could you talk yeah. about those a little bit? Yeah. So when you've got the downward triangle of the three positions, and that's us in blame, mm-hmm. and then you begin to step up to the fourth position, which now that turns that triangle into a diamond, mm-hmm. right? And but and that also and what that does automatically when you step into observer is you you begin to access the um, other end of the spectrum the contrast to the persecutor or rescuer. Mm-hmm. So the it's like the transformed persecutor is becomes a respectful leader. It's someone who's boundary, who knows how to go for what they want, who knows who's clear on what's appropriate and what's not, who knows how to say no. And then you also have the uh, transformed rescuer mm-hmm. who rather than caretaking, fixing, enabling, disabling, becomes the nurturer, the one who is emp- empathetic, who, his, um, who knows how to be there and empower rather than mollycoddle and um, carry and fix. Mm-hmm. And actually rescuers... Uh, do as much to perp- to to um, perpetuate the the victim triangle as anyone because mm-hmm. they they very often are what we do as rescuers is train people to be victims mm-hmm. because rescuers need someone to fix in order to feel important in mm-hmm. order to feel valid in order to feel like I'm somebody and so then they will have to have somebody who is dependent upon them who's needy in order for them to feel good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they actually set their children and they, they um, and we see a lot of it even at the government level where it's handouts and it's, and, and people and, and victims who people who feel powerless, mm-hmm. uh, that's a, that's a steep price to pay to feel loved mm-hmm. and connected. It's like, okay, in order to be loved in my family, I have to be the one who's the problem, who can't get it right, who, who is not able to stand on their own, who mm-hmm. is weak or sickly or fragile or whatever it is, and, and so that mom can feel good. Mm-hmm. I remember when my own youngest child, who was um, the helpless baby, as we call the victim when we teach this model to children, the helpless baby in my family, I remember when she began to get really conscious around this and we were really working on this dynamic together and she said, I, I just thought that that was, um, that you liked it when I needed you, that you, I thought that was, I loved it. I loved doing that for you because I could see that it made you happy when you were taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you see, I was training her to yeah. be dependent. Mm-hmm. Well, then on if that had been left alone, then she would be out in the world today needing others to take care of her and thinking, get, and, and see what she's given up, her own independence, her sense of self, her sense of um, empowerment, mm-hmm. ability to take care of herself, all because she wants to be loved. And that's the thing. We mm-hmm. take on these roles, starting gate positions, which means that each one of those positions, even though we move around them on the triangle, we will all have a propensity for mm-hmm. one of the three mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are and we call these starting gates right and it's dependent on the core belief that we take on there are rescuing starter starter beliefs and persecutor starting beliefs and victim starting beliefs right Vic- victims believe that they can't take care of themselves they need somebody else to do it for them the persecutors mm-hmm. believe the world is dangerous so i need to attack i need to get you before you get me and rescuers believe that the only way I can be important is if I is if I establish my worth by taking care of those around me. Hmm. And so this sets us up for starting eight positions. But once we're on there, each one of those starting eight positions will move around the triangle in their right. own unique way. Right. So someone who maybe has read your book or has been through your workshop or has done other types of therapy and find themselves now in the observer um, 
triangle. Um, could you could you describe that type of person? Like, what are their qualities? What are what are some of the things that they do now that they're in observer consciousness? Well, they don't expect themselves to live always in observer consciousness. It's not a stagnant state. State. None of these are. It's, okay. It, it, it's sort of like. Um, I think the handout I sent you with mm -hmm. the two triangles shows that figure eight in there. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, I have it here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, that is, yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's right. So the upper triangle is, it shows that, that we move. We go uh -huh. up and then we go down. We go up and what we do, and we go oh, down. Okay. And what happens is as soon as we recognize we're on the lower triangle, uh -huh. we take ownership of it. Oh, and as okay. soon as we take ownership of it, we are automatically have moved up to the observer. Now we begin to ask ourselves the question, what can I learn from this? There's no accident here. How mm -hmm. is this for me? Mm -hmm. How can I grow from this? How can I take, what can I do to take responsibility for myself right here, right now? Mm -hmm. How can I okay. empower myself and empower the other? Okay. How can I, what do I need? How do I what do I, how do I take responsibility for me? And so we begin to act in those ways. So it's a it's a fluid sort of it's a process, not a, a not a mm -hmm. I've arrived place. Okay, okay, I see, I see. I see it as a wheel. You know, the uh -huh. Buddhists like to talk about the wheel of suffering, uh -huh. right? Yeah. And so if you were to take that wheel and you were to put that put that reality diamond on that wheel mm -hmm. and at the top of the wheel is the observer that's where we all want to be we want to be up there where we're we've got the mountaintop experience where we're look we're seeing clearly we understand where we are we're 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 aligned we are which means we feel we're satisfied with our life and we feel good about where we are and we're we're not blaming anyone and and we recognize and we're using the reality formula in order to manifest what we want in our lives. That's the top of the triangle, right? And but the wheel, what do wheels do? They yeah. turn. Mm -hmm. You know, there is no it, without a wheel on a car, you're not going to move forward. And if you can't move forward, there's no progress. Mm -hmm. And so the wheel is going to turn. And this is and so at the bottom is that victim triangle. And that's mm -hmm. when we're in our story. Where we're where we're believing some unhappy, limiting, reductive belief about ourselves or the world. Mm -hmm. We're looking out. We're saying that's not fair. That shouldn't be like that. And we are. And we're instead of feeling satisfied, we are dissatisfied. We are angry with the way things are. We 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 are we feel ashamed or we feel afraid or we and that that's telling us that we're in that low frequency victim triangle and. So what happens is we fall off the mountaintop as the wheel turns. We're inevitably going to go down here. It's, the, it's how fast do I wake up? How long does it take me to recognize, oh, I'm in low frequency. Mm -hmm. I'm down under the wheel now. Mm -hmm. And then we begin to use the tools for the, to, to bring us back up. But the only way to grow is to mm -hmm. go around the wheel. What right. goes up must come down. Mm -hmm. And and it's a, more like a spiral. Mm -hmm. And it, and you can think of it as an ascending spiral rather than as a wheel that goes forward like this. Mm -hmm. It's a, a it's a, an ascending spiral. So as I go down, but I never have to quite cover that ground again because even when I come down, I'm still, if I start here, right. and the next time I come around, I'm here, yeah. and the next time I come around, I'm here. And so I'm evolving. I'm yeah. evolving through the process of going around the wheel. And okay. this is what this is what Earth School is all about. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. there's no problem with being on the victim triangle. We we like to think that, oh, well, I'm going to learn of this model and I'll never have to go there again. And if I do go there, it means I'm not doing something right. No. Mm -hmm. Just means now it's time for the second round. It's time for another yeah. lesson. It's time for another refinement. Right, right. As I um, it's interesting that you mentioned the circle and, and, and completing the circle because um, a, a lot of what, what my podcast is about, ordinary people sharing their hero's journey. And I don't know how familiar you are with Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, but it's like a circle. You start in one place, you go on the adventure, you have trials and tribulations, you learn from them, you gain yeah. insights, and then you return to the circle. You're a transformed person. So how It's exactly the same. Yeah, it's exactly this. 
and the guardian on the thresh the, the threshold that the, that Campbell talks about those are the stories they're the ones that want to hold us in the familiar territory that don't want us to branch out into the unknown they don't want us to expand they want to keep us mm-hmm. you know in the known mm-hmm. i like to call that the victim mind it, it and i use the nursery rhyme i wrote about it in my book peter peter pumpkin eater had a wife couldn't keep her so he put her in a pumpkin shell where he kept her very well Mm-hmm. If you think of Peter Pumpkin Eater as being the victim ego, it's that part of us that that holds the story and just says, well, you're just a pumpkin. You'll never be more than a pumpkin. Don't expect much from life. And those are the guardians on the tre- the threshold. They're the ones who are saying, ah, are you, you don't know what, you don't want to go out there. You, you don't know that you can handle it. And besides, it's scary out there and wants to hold us in the known. And the known is the pumpkin. Put us in that. The, the, the wife he couldn't keep is the divine feminine. That's the part of us that remembers who we are, mm. that carries the memory of who we are. And, and so that victim mind, that victim ego wants to stuff that part of us down into the story and, and hold us there. And as long as it does that, it can keep us very well. Right. Keep, yeah. keep us in the familiar and so, but their nature is, or our, you know, there's that in us that wants to expand, that wants to get bigger, that wants to come out of that pumpkin patch. Yeah, that's interesting because when I talk to people and ask them about, you know, their stories, and, and I always ask about, about the mentors and the people that have helped them along their journey, and, and there are the mentors, but then there are usually the people that want to hold them down, that want to keep them in their place, or they want to keep that they don't want them to go out and do this adventure or start this new business or whatever it is. They want to keep them in their place. In their place, could you talk about that? Yeah, that's that is um, the that's the story keepers. They're the ones that are representing. They they are. That part, because everyone in our life is going to be a projection of our of some part of us, and so when I, I have those voices in my own head that say, "Don't do that," you you that that's not safe. That can be a parent or uh, people who really quote love us, but they don't know how to love us. They they think that loving us means keeping us safe, which means keeping us contained and limited, and and then there are those. In, in the guiding principles, one of the guiding principles is the law of reflection, which is uh, the law of contrast, which says that, that you must have the contrast. You must have that which res- to resist against in order to expand. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have the limiting in order to, because you've got to have something to push against, to say, it's like you have to know um, what you don't want in order to refine what you do want. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know I don't want that. That's not what I want. But what we do is we get all fixated on pushing against that rather than going, oh, oh, that's not what I want. Let me see what do I want. I'm going for that. Mm-hmm. And that's what the hero does. The hero right. says, I'm going for that. Mm-hmm. I know what I don't want. These limiting, these limiters in my life, they help me know what I don't want. They, they show me how I'm keeping myself back. They represent the part of my mind that's the naysayers in my own mind. They're showing me where it is I'm naysaying. They're mm-hmm. opening their mouths and saying out loud to me the things that my inner voices are saying to me that I don't even hear. I'm so used to Mm-hmm. They just mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So they're essential. <clears throat> they're an essential part. Right. Okay. Is there anything else about the hero's journey and the victim consciousness that you, where you see similarities or you see some sort of connection between the two? Probably, but I can't. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> no, that's okay. Mine right this second. That's okay. Because I, I was going to go on to ask you another question, but I wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to add about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you wrote the book in 2010 and a lot has changed since then. Um, how do you see victim consciousness, um, in, in the U S or just in the world in general? How has it changed since you wrote the book? Well, in some ways it's gotten bigger because I see it in our political system today. Mm-hmm. Um, I see, I see a co- kind of what I call a victim competition that goes on. I've been, I've been called a victim basher by people who don't understand that I'm not 
I'm not bashing a vi- victims. Mm-hmm. I believe that people truly, there is true victim. Mm-hmm. But I also know that it never works. I, I will never heal. I will never find peace as long as I'm blame, busy blaming my persecutors, perpetrators. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't heal from there. Um, but I can heal when I see it, when I begin to frame it as an initiation, as um, this is something that, that I can move forward from. And this is something that, that I can overcome and rise above. And that that's, that's the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And so I see that. I see, so I see the law of contrast at play. And, and at the same time, in, in exact proportion to maybe, I don't know that that's true, but that's my story, mm-hmm. um, is that as I'm watching the, the, the victim consciousness grow uh, and, and get just more, get more visible, maybe grow is not the right word, just get more visible. People are more out there. And, and there's a whole lot of bashing um, persecutors and, you know, and preaching to them and fixing them and and attacking them. So that's all on the triangle, right? Mm -hmm. And what the law says, universal law says, what you push against, what you resist persists. It doesn't go away. It gets bigger. And so what, because the law is that whatever you pay attention to expands, that's the universal law. And so, so rather than push against, we learn to turn our head away from and look at what we do want instead. And, and I'm seeing more of that too. And it's been Oh, so exciting for me and the since my book has come out to watch how many more people are hungry for the work and get it. They're ready to get it. There's this awakening going on and I see it on all sorts of levels. People stepping out and becoming more aware of uh, ourselves as vibrational uh, beings and really understanding more and, and, and the research and science that is now coming forward. Biology of Belief, I think of Dr. Bruce Lipton, if you're familiar with that, where they have found in, in biology, in the biology of the, cell, the cells, the powerful influence of the mind. Mm-hmm. That the mind, that the body is the, fir- is the first servant of the brain, of the mind. Mm-hmm. So what the mind believes, the body manifests. Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing more of that kind of research and more of just more of those kinds of things. Uh, Dr. Job Dispenza and his works with his work with the brain and, and the way the brain thinks and the and the waves of the brain and and how it is that we um, uh, can can influence and affect our surroundings by the thoughts we think mm-hmm. and the, those kinds of things. So. Science is catching up with these ancient principles that have been around mm-hmm. since the beginning, really. Mm-hmm. It, the mystery schools have passed these things down. Um, Christ was, in my mind, uh, the example. He showed us how to live beyond victim consciousness. He was not a victim. He was a victim who never went into victim consciousness. Mm-hmm. He never blamed. He, he never pointed the finger and said, I'm going to get even. He never turned and attacked. He just stayed aligned with who he was mm-hmm. and hmm. what he was from, with what he knew. Hmm. And that that is a model for us. He showed us how to do it. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the belief the size of a mustard seed and all of that. It's what you believe that determines. Mm-hmm. And so I've watched, and certainly in my life, I've been using these principles and verifying them for a very long time. So I no longer, I have no qualm, no doubt about it. I know these principles are true mm-hmm. and I know they work. Mm-hmm. I use them every day. And the more you use them, the better you get at just sort of saying, well, I want that. And I'm going to see myself with that. And I'm going to believe that's possible. And I'm going to, and I question the parts of me that say, well, you can't have that. You're not, you're not enough to deserve that. You're, and I question those. And I, so I've, I've learned how to use that reality formula to work to work for me and to manifest what it is that mm-hmm. I want in my life and to attract to me the things that are important. Right. Do you still yeah. offer your uh, workshops? I do. I have one coming up in January <laughs> and then another one in June. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about what the process or what, what a, um, a schedule looks like at one of your workshops? 
Yeah, the, well, the two day, which will be in January, um, it's it's like a, a, a it's a it's a deep dive, a two day intensive, which means that you come in and um, and that one is going to be about the guiding principles. So that one's going to be all about a recognizing what your core belief story is. So we'll do. I always start out with an introduction of the reality formula and the triangle and and the story, the core beliefs. There's a core belief cycle. Mm-hmm. that I've developed over the years that helps people understand what it is they're believing. You, it's in my book, mm-hmm. Finding Your Core Beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I take people through a really brief run through that, and then we begin to work with um, questioning those core beliefs. Mm-hmm. And we do it experientially. There are ways that to unwind the story physically because we carry these stories in ourselves. So we actually work with people to take them back through psychodrama and through actual energy release work to let go, to release their story and move and then and then learning about the guiding principles and how to use them, how to pull them in, use them as tools mm-hmm. to help you maintain and to uh, to pull in when it is that you catch yourself in an old story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's basically what it is. And then. The training in, in June is a seven-day, and so that's much more intensive where people we actually take people much deeper in and sustain it so that they actually get uh, a, a good example so that when they leave there, they know what the daily practice is. They've been practicing it for seven days. They've got a head start mm-hmm. on a new life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's also part of our certification. People come, and, and so we have people there who everyone is there for their own personal growth but then there are there will be people there also who are there in training so they are there as interns also working learning about how to use the process and how to use the reality formula with others mm-hmm. so would these they, be yoga instructors or social workers or what? these can be uh all, people from nurses anything from nurses to psychologists to coaches a lot of coaches body workers um people who work with people and who want to add this to their toolbox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so tell me, uh, who are some of your mentors? <laughs> who are some people that you that uh, helped you along your journey? <laughs> well, I mentioned Christ. So certainly uh, I'm not, I'm not um, a member of any particular church, but I certainly think of Christ as, as a model for me. Mm-hmm. of what it looks like to live outside of victim consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, and, and that was early on. My mother, because she handed me the guiding principles, and I studied with her at, on Sundays from the time I was about 11. I would sit in her chair across from her in her bedroom, and she taught me all about being a vibrational being and, and how to recognize it, how to feel that, how to see energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were my early mentors, uh, Carl Jung, um, a woman named Jacqueline Small, who's an author of seven or eight books. And I was on staff with her for 11 years and traveled with her doing uh, integrative breath work and that kind of learning that kind of uh, work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, um, John Barnes, myofascial release, learning about how the body knows how to release the story it carries. And he's a physical therapist who teaches physical therapy, and I am not a physical therapist. He told me at the time when I went to study him, which has been now, oh gosh, 15 years ago or more, um, he told me that I was the first one he had had come through who was not there to, as a physical therapist, but was there for the emotional catharsis of the work. And he was really intrigued by that mm-hmm. at that time. I bet he's had a lot of us come through <laughs> since then. Um, <laughs> Because uh, so myofascial and learning about the body and how the body stores energy. Mm-hmm. Um, my son has also been a teacher for me. He works with me in these workshops, and we've worked together for 20 years. Uh, and he is a, a massage therapist, um, dancer. He's a master ballet instructor and understands the body like. And because he has these principles that he's, I've handed him since he was a little kid that came down through me and through my lineage. Uh, and now he's a master of that, and so he certainly has taught me a lot about the body and how the and how the body works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
so who, oh gosh, there's been many, many, many metaphysical <laughs> okay. teachers, Alice Bailey's work. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been, she was a big influence for me. She has a very mm-hmm. extensive library. Um, yeah. Yogananda, um, you know, just yogi and yoga is a big, important part of my work. Mm-hmm. I do a daily practice that involves yoga every day. I take ballet. I started taking ballet at the age of 66. Had never danced before in my life. And really? Now, oh, at age 64. I'm 66 now. Uh-huh. So it's been two years. Take it from my son. And I love it. <laughs> and I, matter of fact, I went in to my physician, had my physical, and I was told, she told me I had grown an inch. And she was like, that's like, no, and not at age 66, you don't grow an inch taller. <laughs> uh, but he, I said, well, you do if you do ballet, you know. Wow. The alignment and yeah. learning how to, to um, carry the body and how to. Yeah. It stretches you. It stretches you when you begin to. Yeah, and that's it, great. And it's really interesting. We've learned that because when you have a story that's of like worthlessness, if you have a story that says, I'm not good enough, there'll be mm-hmm. a collapse. Mm-hmm. And you'll carry it in your in your structure, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that, and so you become a transmitter. Your body actually transmits the message, and you will attract people. I remember working with a pedophile uh, back in who was in he was in uh, in a uh, rehab program mm-hmm. and incarceration. And I, this was back in the seventies. And I asked him, "How do you know? How do you pick your?" victims and he said I could take you right now to a playground a school playground and I could show you the child I could point out to you the child that I could molest and get away with wow he said that she she will emanate it that she that nobody cares what happens to me and you see that's in her body language mm-hmm. and so we carry this so we're transmitting messages we're transmitting who we are Mm-hmm. And um, we try. That's one of the ways that we attract to us what we attract. This is one of the ways we do that. So we have learned that. So and we uh, we found Andrew and I that when when you move into right alignment. So one of the things we do with people is we help them identify their body posture, mm-hmm. their pattern, and then correct it and align it. Mm-hmm. And because when you move into alignment. It's really difficult to believe the story. As soon as you start telling yourself the story, the body will reflect it. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a way of knowing, oh, I'm in my story. Mm-hmm. I'm in my story. Oh, let me. And then as soon as you bring yourself into alignment, you can't think the thoughts of that frequency. It yeah. just, so it's, it's that interesting. Yeah. That that. So, yeah, it's things like that. Mm-hmm. So what's what's next for you? What are what are your plans for the next uh, short term or long term? However you want to <laughs> share. Oh man, I'm having such a good time. I want, I'm taking this out internationally now. We've got uh, an extensive mailing list, and and I have traveled with it. Went to London, been to Copenhagen, and taking taking the teaching out. I'm hoping my my plan right now my desire is to take it to Europe in late summer uh, and do a European tour there and and teach, teach the reality formula. I'm just wanting to spread the message, just take the work out there and spread it. So we're doing a lot of online work. Um, we are, um, as I said, we built a model for children and uh, Danielle Alvarez Greer, who's there in Chattanooga, is um, spearheading that. She's training uh, and teaching people how to take it out to children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Is that for at-risk at children or just any, anybody? Yeah, children, children yeah. everywhere. And, yeah. and private school, public school. Uh, she has taken that model into special needs kids. She and myself, we had a, a team on the ground for some years as I was developing that program. It took about five years, and she and I worked together for five years uh, developing that program for kids. And we would bring families to my place in Mont Eagle, where whole families, and these would be oftentimes special needs kids or uh, facial differences, children who were born with birth, born with birth differences in their face and, and had had to surgery and that kind of thing, and the bullying that their families and that those children would go through in the families and how to deal with the dynamic where blah, 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 we would bring those families up. And so 
we've and then she also took that the model to the border mexican border and, and took it into an orphanage there and and so the model we it's been tried out tried and true on the ground it's amazing how quickly kids take to this model we can introduce it in 15 minutes and children get the roles they just get it mm-hmm. and you can you have a 15-minute introduction and say, do you know anyone in, in your in, in your house who's a helpless baby? Hi, <laughs> my mom was a helpless baby this morning. You know, they, they get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then they, they, call, they uh, call themselves on it. They, uh, and it's a way of helping the bully not, w- without shaming. Mm-hmm. So calling the bully to responsibility without pointing the finger and making them a bad kid. We like to say there are no bad kids. Only unhappy kids, kids who believe unhappy thoughts mm-hmm. and therefore feel and act as if it's true. And, and, and we help them see that anytime they move into bully, they're going to end up down here in victim. There's going to be a bigger bully that comes along. It, right. it might be yeah. the school principal. It might be, you know, whoever mm-hmm. it is. Right. Somebody will. And, and they begin to get that. And we begin to show them alternatives. And those kids... Very often, bullies will turn into respectful leaders. We've watched it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's a, a powerful model for families, for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we're taking it, I'm wanting to take it more into the corporate world, the business world, mm-hmm. so that companies begin to understand that this is a way of expanding business, of, of really getting people on board, their employees on board, where they feel heard and listened to, they there, it, it's a conflict resolution process, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we have, like I said, the reality formula live where people who want to can subscribe and, and learn more about all of this online with me. As they they can ask questions, and I do presentations, live presentations, and then they can interact with me. And I think it's like twelve dollars a month. That's not going to be that that inexpensive <laughs> long, but but once you get on board, then you. You get you get lock in at that price. So regardless of what it goes up to, you're at that price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're making that available so that no so that nobody's left behind. That you mm-hmm. know. And then my blog, I blog. I've got like 600 pages of information on my blog. That's all all free, mm-hmm. open people mm-hmm. available. Uh, and that's on your you can, website. That's on my website, lynnforest.com, and that's L Y N N E F O R R E S T dot com for people who are interested in that. Yep, I'll link to that in the so, in the show notes. And then, so if they go to that website, then they can find your blog, and they can find what other information can they find on your. They on your find website? out about certification. They can find out um, about coaching sessions. I offer one on one sessions with people uh, by we use Zoom or that which is like Skype mm-hmm. video calls, um, and that ma- makes this work accessible to people wherever they are who want to work with me and uh, we uh let's see what else they can find out about events and the the things we've got coming up um and just it's a training you know just the home page because there's it's a study you can go through and hit whatever's highlighted and then go there and learn about that like the word observer consciousness. You hit on that, and there'll be a whole, it'll take you to my blog where I've written about observer consciousness. And so you can actually get a synopsis of the work just by reading the home page. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really about, I want to reach people at every level. Mm-hmm. And of course, that requires support. So we also hope people who can will jump on board with us and, and come to our events, and, and which are more expensive. Uh, but we have it at every level, this mm-hmm. work offering. And that's that's been our goal, and that's yeah. what we've been. Well, good, so, good. busy. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> Is there any? Love, I have a dedicated staff. Oh, do you? I, oh, yeah. Well, it's my daughter. Uh-huh. And uh, Zach Zingoldi, who's also there in, in Chattanooga, and he's our internet guru. He's the one that does all the online stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they're my two staff, my do, two uh, loyal standbys. They are so dedicated to the work. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to say that of my children, every one of my children have um, helped me with this work on some level at some point. They all believe in this work. They all use it in their lives. My daughter and has passed it on to my grandchildren. My grandchildren were raised with this model, mm-hmm. and they use it in their lives. Um, they've taken it to their teachers. <laughs> 
yeah. it's it's been very rewarding to have my own family um, feel the way I do about it and know because it works. Yeah, and it sounds like it was passed down to you from your mom. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's been sort of a lineage, and this is how I know I'm here doing what I came here to do. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Is there anything else you want to share? Anything else that you want to mention before we wrap up? This has been really fun, Carlina. <laughs> it has been Thank fun. Thank you so much for your uh, inquis- your curiosity and your, your good questions and your listening ear. You've been a, a good audience for me. and uh, Well, thank uh, you. This has been fun. I've learned yeah. a lot. I've learned a lot from you. Ah, <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to meeting you in person one day. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do it. We'll have coffee. Okay, sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, Len. Thank you, Carlina. <laughs> have a good evening. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>